verse 11. And the scripture reads, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but he was, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat. And be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received them safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots and has killed for him the fatted calf. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. If it was me that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and do of his word. Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 15 doing a series on the parables, if you're here visiting with us today. And as we do this series, we're in the parables, actually we're in this one parable of lost things in Luke chapter 15. So we did a series, uh, we did a message on the parable of the lost sheep, which is really the parable of the good shepherd, and then we did a parable of the lost coin, which is really the parable of 
the desperate woman with the broom and the light, remember, looking for that lost coin. So today we're going to start speaking about the prodigal, what we call the prodigal son and the elder brother, but it's really not about that, as we'll see. But turn to Luke chapter 15, and our message today, I'm entitling Our Joyful God of Unfathomable Grace. By the way, it is also so nice to have with us today uh, Priscilla's daughter and son-in-law and their little son. And so we welcome Leanne and JC with us and their son Akil is here. Thank you so much. Give him a hand. They came all the way from the Philippines. They heard about our church and just had to come. No, I'm just kidding. We're so happy. I know that your family is so happy to, to have you with them, Joanne, and, and JC is for Jonathan Christian, right? John Christopher, I'm sorry, Christopher, I didn't read my own writing, I wrote it down, Jonathan Christopher, okay, so it's so nice to have them, so God bless you. And also, just to throw this out, if you do have a favorite song that you'd like sung at Heritage, let me know, because we would definitely take favorites Uh, and and sing songs that you want. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. I'll just read that as we begin and then we'll pray. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And let's pray. So, Father, thank you now for this moment, dear God, as we look into this incredible, powerful teaching of you, Lord Jesus Christ. We see such infinite wisdom, mind-boggling riches of your grace that are incomprehensible, and we're unable to search them out entirely, is the way I feel. But, Lord... We pray that we'll be able to just grasp some of the wonderful things from this parable today of your prodigious grace and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look on your screen, or on the screen, as well as in your notes, you can follow along in your notes. There was an outline in your bulletin. I'm going to ask just a few questions as we start the message today in the introduction. And the first question I want to ask is simply this. Is Christianity just another religion? Is it just like all the other religions of the world? Because we hear that so much, that that's your religion and we have our religion and all religions are the same. And I'm here to say today in love, the answer to that question is what? Is Christianity just a religion equal to the other religions in the world? No, it is not. It is absolutely distinct. It is different. It is the way, the truth, and the life to God, to come to God, the Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the working of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what this parable actually represents. There is no religion in the world like the faith of Jesus Christ. Because no religion, and I use the word religion in its actual sense of how do we get to God? How do we come to know God? No religion of the world teaches that God took on human flesh 
and then suffered on a lowly cross and rose again from the dead and is coming soon. Only Christianity teaches that. It is entirely different. And what makes Christianity so different is it's not just really a religion. It is having a relationship with God himself. Because of his grace, we have the grace of God demonstrated to us in Christianity like no other religion of the world. The grace of God is so great and glorious, so prodigious and miraculous, so mind-boggling and mind-blowing. It's even shocking, we're going to see in this parable. The grace of God, man can't even fathom it. Some people get angry at it. It's so incredible and culture-breaking, the grace of God. The grace of God is what led the Father to send His Son. The grace of God is what led Jesus to say, I will, and to drink the cup of suffering, and to go to the cross and shed His blood for the sins of the world. Listen, you need a sacrifice for your sins. All of us need a sacrifice. Either you'll die for your sin, or someone else will die for your sins. And that's the grace of God. He's not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And that's what Jesus did. He took our sins upon himself in his body on the cross, bearing the weight of God's wrath. That's the grace of God. No religion in the world teaches what Christianity teaches. So the second question I want to ask is, what is the best name of this parable we're going to begin studying today? Because it is so ingrained in our mind, and I know I'm not going to change people's thinking necessarily on this, But so many people look at this parable beginning at verse 11 of Luke and going to the end of the chapter as the parable of the prodigal son. But it is not the parable of the prodigal son. Say it with me. This is not the parable of the prodigal son. Now you have to say that 10 times and memorize that this week and that will be our memory statement. No, I'm just kidding. It's so ingrained in us, we just call it the parable. But it is not. You say, how come it isn't? Because it's not just about him, for one. And it's not primarily about him, too. It's also about the elder brother. And, but it's ultimately about the unfathomable grace of the Father. That's what this parable is about. So what do you think the best name of this parable would be? Well, I'm just going to suggest it in the title of my message itself. Our joyful God. It's the parable of our joyful God. And his... And I, I wrestled with even what adjective do you, do you use before grace? I finally just put unfathomable grace, but I had so many words there. You know, I was going to put prodigious, but that, that seemed like a stuffy word. But, I mean, the grace of God, how do you even describe it? His grace is so indescribable, but that's the best name of this parable. It's about our rejoicing God. And we're going to see how his grace literally shocks the cultural standards of his day. And his grace angers the legalistic elder brother, doesn't it? And even when, and you think about it, when Jesus died on the cross and all the religious people were around the cross, did they wake up and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, now we understand, you need to die for us. No, the religious people were like, come down from the cross if you're really the son of God. 
Prove to us that you're the son of God by coming down from there. Because God would not allow such as his prophet to, or Messiah to die in this way. His grace is so misunderstood. But in grace, he stayed on the cross. In grace, he died for us. So this parable is about the unfathomable grace of God. And the grace of the loving father... And we're going to see how he endures the agony of rejected love. That's the greatness of of God's grace as well, is that God endures the agony of rejected love in this parable. And then he rejoices in those who come to him. So the best name of this parable, I suggest, is the parable of our rejoicing God of unfathomable grace. Now, this third question I want to ask is, why are there two sons in this last, last parable of this chapter? Why, are, why is there the prodigal son and then the elder brother? There are two sons, and frankly, the prodigal son gets so much emphasis placed on him. I'm going to preach two messages on the prodigal, and I'm going to preach a message on the elder brother. So we'll, we'll be here for at least three weeks in this chapter. But why are there two sons? And the reason is because of the verses that I just read as we started in verses 1 and 2. There are two sons because there are two groups of people listening to Jesus. And they're in verses 1 and 2. Where it says, then drew near to him the publicans and sinners to hear him. So there were publicans and sinners... And then there were Pharisees and scribes. So the publicans and sinners are represented by which son? The prodigal son. The Pharisees and scribes are represented by which son? The elder brother. So Jesus speaks about these two brothers because they represent the two groups of people listening to him. And not only that, but these two sons and these two groups actually represent the direction of millions of lost sinners in the world. So these two sons reveal two key ways people are lost in their sin and why they're lost. One group, the publicans and sinners. They represent this prodigal, as I've said. And do you know what the publicans and sinners were? The publicans of Jesus' day were the tax collectors. You know that. But they were appointed by the Roman government. And they were given a fixed amount of tax that they needed to collect from the people. And that money was going to go to the government. But then these publicans, Jewish men, appointed by the Roman government, could then extort and get and strong arm and falsely accuse. Remember Zacchaeus, if I've falsely accused any, anyone? They would strong arm people. They were almost like the street mafia of their day to get as much money and squeeze as much money out of the people as they possibly could. So these publicans were viewed upon as vile traitors of, of Israel. And then around these publicans, because what did the publicans have? They have money. And when you have money, who's around you? The leeches. <laughs> the sinners. 
There were the prostitutes. There were the, there were the thugs around them who would go out and extort the money. There were the criminals, the lowlife, muggers. And they would go and extort the money from the people. And so this is the kind of people coming to hear Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees were sure of one thing. These men were from the devil. And so if they sat with Jesus, Jesus was from the devil too. And that's what they said. So these scribes and Pharisees murmured against Jesus, it says here. They hated him. They were literally nauseated by his grace, outraged at his love to receive these moral outcasts, these publicans and sinners. But these publicans and sinners coming to Jesus, they were like the prodigal. Because guess what? They were coming to themselves. They were repenting. And they were coming to Jesus. And when you put it all together, the scribes and Pharisees should not have been murmuring against Jesus. They should have been doing what? Throwing a party (laughs) that they were repenting. That's what they should have been doing. Throwing a party. But they were so stuck in their self-righteousness. So, the next question I want to ask is, why is Luke 15 really one large parable in three distinct parts? And I, I do believe that. I believe Luke 15, and we could say there's three parts to it. There's the, and we often call it the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the, of the prodigal, or really the two lost sons, but it's really the parable of the father. And I actually think these three parables are around the shepherd, the woman, and the father. So why are these three parables one? Because comprehensively, they point us to the triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The lost sheep sought out by the Good Shepherd. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The lost coin sought out by that woman sweeping. A picture we looked at last week of the Spirit-filled church. And of course the parable of these two sons loved and received. The The prodigal loved and received by the Father. So there's one parable in three distinct parts. Another reason why I believe they're all three together is because there's a party in each parable. So there's a theme that runs throughout. Lost things. And then there's a repentance in all three. The repentance of the sheep. The repentance of the coin. And we talked about that. And then the repentance of the prodigal son. And then after the repentance, there's a party. You know, God rejoices. Think about this. God rejoices every time a lost sinner is saved. When are lost sinners being saved on earth? I think every minute of the day. (laughs) Guess what's in heaven all the time? A party. You know, our God is a rejoicing God. Our God is a happy God. Our God is singing over his people. This is one parable. There's three repentance. And it runs like a theme. There's three parties of rejoicing. And then what really holds it all together and brings it to its conclusion is the shocking end that the elder brother is the only lost one who stays in his lost condition. The self-righteous one. That is a powerful ending. 
to this parable. So it's really one parable in three different parts, revealing the triune God as this theme of lost things and repentance and parties runs through each of the three, but then there's this shocking end bringing it to its conclusion. So then the last question I ask before we get to the first part of our message today is how are we found by God and connect to him? So how does the sheep, and we kind of put it all together, but how does the sheep connect to him? How does the lost coin, how does that connection happen? How does the prodigal son, how does he connect to, to God the Father? And, and why not the elder brother? How do we connect to God? How are we going to be found? How are we going to find eternal life? Do you want eternal life? You have to be found because with it, we're born lost in sin. We must be found. And the answer is simply through repentance and receiving his amazing grace. So this parable reveals the amazing grace of God, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, the loving shepherd, the amazing grace of the Holy Spirit working through his people to search for the lost, the amazing grace of the Father. How are we found? Through amazing grace. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. So before we get into this, though, I just want to say a couple more things about these two sons. Because obviously the prodigal son and the elder brother, when you look at it, they're so different. They're they're like polar opposites. But yet they're actually very similar. They both have strong wills. They both take a particular direction to find happiness. And really, these two represent the direction of millions of people. Some, find, some go in the direction of sinful pleasure and have it all now. And other people go in the way of self-righteousness and to try, just try to be the best person I can be. But both are lost in the end without the grace of God. These sons have similarity. They're both in their sinful state. As we begin this parable, neither son has a relationship with the father. Neither son understands the heart of their father's, the heart of the, of, of grace that their father has. Both are going their own way. And both sons are dressed in filthy rags. Now the prodigal's rags are obvious when he comes out of the pigsty. But the self-righteous Elder brother's rags are not so obvious, but we looked at this verse in Sunday school today. All our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags, even of a leper. So whether you seek the direction of sinful pleasure or self-righteousness, you're robed in rags. The direction of the prodigal or the direction of the proud. And here's what we have to also see as we go into this This most incredible, perhaps the most incredible of all Jesus' parables is we are like them both. We are like the prodigal son. We are like the elder brother. And one thing I do not want to do when I come to this text is think, oh, I'm not like the prodigal son. No, I am like him. I may not be as bad as him, And you might not be as bad as, I hope not. But we have traits of him. 
and we should see ourselves in him. And the point of the parable is if the prodigal son can go back to his father and be received absolutely freely, you ain't that bad? Okay, you can come too. Because you are bad, and you're a sinner, and you're rebellious. Come on now. And then when we think about the elder brother, don't think, oh, I'm not self-righteous. Oh, yes, you are sometimes. You look down on other people who don't talk the way you talk or dress the way you dress. You think sometimes you're more spiritual than others because you even come to church. Oh, I went to church Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here. But our righteousness is not in coming to church or in how we can say amen and say amen every now and then. That encourages the preacher. But let's not come to this parable and think, I'm not as sinful as the rebellious prodigal, and I'm not as self-righteous as the hypocritical elder brother. Let's be honest with ourselves and see that we have traits of both these brothers in our hearts. And let us repent of any rebellion, and repent of any self-righteousness, and receive the amazing, unfathomable grace of God. So let's look just at the first point this morning. And the reason I'm just doing one point, I knew my introduction was long. So we're just going to look at verses 11 through 16 this morning as we see and focus in on this prodigal son now. And here's what, you know, when I, when I really get and study the word, and, and I did a number of things to prepare this message just to let you know, and I'll even give some credit. I listened to some sermons online, and I listened to a very excellent sermon by John, John MacArthur. I, I, re, I read multiple commentaries, and I kind of put everything together, so I, I can't say who's, who's from what and what. And then I put things in my own words and through my own thoughts and prayer, and I get on my knees, and I pray over it, and, and then Put it together as, as God would have me to do it in my feeble, in my most feeble way, you know. So that's kind of where I'm coming at you from. But what we have here in this parable of this rebellious soul who starts out to his father in verse 12, and he says, Father, give me. Give it to me. What rebellion is outright there? And now Jesus is going to go on to describe, I believe, throughout his ministry, the most reckless, rebellious soul that we find in all of his teaching is this prodigal son. And this this parable, this piece about the unfathomable grace of the Father, I want it to jar our thinking. I want us to even come with a fuller understanding of who God really is. Because this is a revelation of God, this parable, the Father. And it breaks and explodes some of our myths about God. How many of us have our hand out like this to God? I want it. And I don't want it tomorrow. I want it now. And I want it in cash. Show me the money. (laughs) But a lot of people think God is some kind of irate judge. That if you step out of line, he's going to smash you. He's going to throw darts and javelins at you. 
But this parable explodes that myth. That God is not just, not an irate judge waiting to destroy you. But God is patient and gracious in a way that we cannot even fathom. It is mind-boggling and mind-blowing, as I said already. And God is, is not an irate judge, but this parable reveals him to be a broken-hearted parent that will wait and endure shame, dishonor, because he's so full of grace. Oh, our God is great. So let's look at this very rebellious soul shouting, give me. And there's three things about him that we'll see. Number one, we see his will here, give me. And we see his out of control, I call it out of control dishonor. I mean, his dishonor of his father is so breathtaking, we don't get it in our culture. But what he's asking or saying to his father is literally this. And I put it in your notes. It's not on the screen. But he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because he wants his inheritance and he wants it now. Now, of course, to get the inheritance of your father then and for us, You wait until your loved ones die. And you're not hoping he dies quick so you can get it. But he's not even willing to wait. He said, I want the inheritance. Divide me my portion. Now, he would get one-third as the younger son. The older son would get two-thirds. And what would happen normally is if the father dies and the older brother gets two-thirds, the younger brother gets one-third, they would divide the estate and then manage that estate. And they would fulfill the responsibilities of that land that they were inheriting. But that's not what the son is asking either. He's not saying, I want to manage my one-third of the estate. No, dad, I want you to cash it out. I want you to sell my third, or I'll sell it, because I'm getting out of here. That's what he's saying. Do you see? This is the height of willful rebellion and selfishness. He's he's sick of his dad. I'm sure he calls him my old man behind his back. He doesn't like his father's lifestyle. He doesn't like the work involved. He doesn't like the smell of the house. He doesn't like his father's breath. He's like, I'm getting out of here. He hates it. But one thing he likes about his dad is the money. Now, do you know what such a response would have normally gotten in his culture? You know what they would do to a son that treated his father like this? And uh, and Jesus is talking to these scribes and Pharisees. Do you know what they're thinking that this father should do to his son? They're thinking this father should slap that son upside the head and keep on slapping him. Because that's what they did in that culture. Boom, boom, boom. How dare you talk to me like that? Boom, boom, boom. Slapping him left and right. And then brings him into the public square and flogs him. And then has a ceremony. And my son is now dead to me. Divide your third of the estate. You're not getting a penny. You're dead to me, son. That's what they did in that culture. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that something? But this father bears the dishonor. 
That's what you have to see. This father puts up with the height of rebellion and shame from his son of what people would say about him, of how his son has treated him. And so the father does what the son asks. This son wanted his money. And it says here, Father, give me the portion of goods. And that word goods is the same word in verse 13, substance. So I believe that the goods refer not to the land itself, but the land cashed out to money. There's another word that he could have used if he actually meant the inheritance of the land. The son is asking for the land to be put into a bag of money, with money that he could count. And what he wants is his freedom. And that's the heart of rebellion too. I want to go in my direction. I want to be free from your restraint. I want to be free and, and I don't want any responsibility with you, Father. I don't want to be under your accountability. I want to do my own thing and go my own way. And that's how I'll find myself. That's how I'll be complete as a person in this world. I'll find my identity when I get away from you. That's what he's thinking. And so what the son does is outrageous in that culture. But in a sense, what the father does is also outrageous in this culture. And that... He doesn't protect his honor. And he does what his rebellious son asks. And he lets him go. And so what we see about our God here is his amazing grace to endure. People that he loves reject him so much and go their own way. Have you been doing that? Do you just want your own freedom? You're just looking for money in this life and that's your satisfaction? And God is still waiting for you to come back? And I say to you, all of us in our sinful condition are somewhat like this younger brother. We have not done exactly as he did, but we've all wanted to live in freedom from God's will. At one point in your your life, you had no faith in God just like this this prodigal, you had no relationship with God, you have no love for God, no, no gratitude for God, no interest in God, no desire to be under His loving accountability or to have any responsibility to God. You want to do things your way and you want to do things now your way and you don't want to wait for anything. You just put on a little human temper tantrum. And God just endures. And He waits. And he loves. Sure, we, we can all see something of ourselves in this prodigal son's will, his out of control dishonor. The second thing we see about him, not only his will and out of control dishonor, imagine telling your dad, though, Dad, I wish you were dead and I want your inheritance. Can you imagine that? That's what he said. That's what he was saying. 
So we move on. Secondly, we see his waist. And the word is in our text, too. By the way, the father, it says in the end of verse 12, he divided unto them his living. You know what that Greek word is? Bios. We had our word biology. You know, the study of life. Bio, bios. That's, that. That's a Greek word. And so he divided to him, he divided to his son, his actual living. What he had the, the wealth he had amassed throughout his whole life, he just put it into the hands of this selfish sinner, his living. And so then the son takes it, and we see his out-of-control debauchery. And we get the word prodigal from verse 13, where it says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Now, obviously, he didn't gather all the land and material things. It was the money he gathered. So he must have cashed out. He probably didn't get the best price because he was a desperate seller. But he cashed out the inheritance, took the money. And then it says he wasted or literally threw it to the wind. He scattered it away. With riotous living, and the word riotous is the word only used one time. In the, think about this. Think about the power of God's word. We get our word prodigal from that word riotous, and it means literally a reckless spendthrift, a waster of substance, somebody who's throwing it all away. Prodigal. He's a waster. He's a spendthrift. And the word is only used one time in the New Testament. And yet everybody knows about the parable of the prodigals. That's the power of God's word. It could say something one time, and that one time is of more power than all the books of the world. I'm saying God's word is powerful. Amen? Amen. So he wasted his substance with riotous living. And where does he do it? What does he do? Where does he go? What's the description? It says... He took his journey into a far country. Now, a far country is where you can go so that nobody knows what you're doing. A far far country is where you can forget God. And you think he's forgotten you, but he hasn't. A far country is where you're not concerned about any responsibility to God. It's where you can fulfill all your sexual pleasures because he did fulfill his sexual pleasures. His brother said he devoured his father's living with harlots. Scripture says it. He was immoral. He was wicked. And you could still devour your living that way, dear friends, especially in a city and a culture like this. But I ask you this question. Are you in a far country? Are you in a far country where you've forgotten God, forgotten any responsibility to God, any accountability to God, where you're just doing your own thing and you don't think anybody's watching you? You know what? Are you in a far country? The Bible says, Deuteronomy 7, verse 19, If thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, you shall surely perish! You forget God. You will perish! So what is your far country? Far from God. Far from any responsibility to God. My conviction is, 
the evolutionist is in a far country. Because an evolutionist, one of the main reasons, and I, a scientist said, one of the reasons we're evolutionists is not because of the sciences, it's, be, science, it's because we don't want to deal with God's moral commands. We don't want any responsibility to God. We want to live as if we don't have to give account to God. We want to live as if we don't have to stand before God in judgment. We just got here through time and chance and through great human effort. An evolutionist is really just a self-righteous sinner combined with prodigal behavior. What is your far country? Those living in adultery. I don't know your life, but if you're living in adultery... No one knows about it. God knows. And you need to repent. Because you'll perish if you continue in that sin. Fornication. There are so many Christians living in fornication today. It's a, sh- it's a shame. It's a tragedy. No wonder the world has gone to do whatever they want to do sexually. Because Christians do too. There's so much adultery in the church. I'm talking about pastors and deacons. There's so much fornication in the church of single people. Before they get married, they don't want to wait. What's your far country? I want pleasure right now. You know, if you live for pleasure, you're just throwing your life away. Because pleasure doesn't satisfy in the end. It'll just leave you dry. So we see his waste. You know, rebellious people with sinful desires, they are unwise with their money many times. And one of the ways people could could just, you could squander your money and just throw it away and lose it faster than you could say hello, goodbye, is through gambling. And I would just say, beloved, and I've said this before and I say it again. Gambling is getting so easy and prevalent in our society. I mean, you're watching, a ba- I like basketball. The Knicks are, are doing better this year than a long time. But, and it's just entertainment, but it doesn't matter in life, but I watch the Knicks. But before the game, it, even the pre-game, part of the pre-game, not a commercial, they actually have the gambling guys coming on, telling you the odds, I just turned it off. But then during the middle of the game, if you're watching a TNT game, they'll have Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith. Come on with the, you know, they'll, they'll be in the little corner down here of the TV and then they'll be showing the game and Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith will be talking about the odds of so-and-so scoring so many points or getting so many re- rebounds. That's how, that's how it's being pushed at us these days. And it's not just there. I mean, you go into... You walk into Penn Station, and there's billboards. You walk down the street, and there's a bus. It's just everywhere. The gambling has just taken over our society. And we have to be strong, because you could squander your money in a minute with all this silly gambling. You know how many lottery tickets you should buy in your life? You know how many scratch match games you should buy a week? None! Zero! Ever! Never! It's addicting! You know, every one of these gambling ads, too, they always say at the bottom, if you have a gambling problem, call such and such. They're like telling, they're telling you to do this. They'll say, if you have a problem, listen, you know it's wrong, therefore. You know it's not good, therefore. Do this and you're going to have a problem later. 
Why start something that you're going to have a problem with? Am I right? Come to Jesus and give all your heart. Surrender all your life. Give yourself to the Word of God. Give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to the local church. And you won't have any problems. There's no disclaimer there. Amen? (laughs) I'm I'm glad I I encourage people to do something. I don't have to say, well, you know what? If you read your Bible too much, you know, it it might might be harmful to your health. No. (laughs) No disclaimers. The third thing, not only his waist, is out of control. There's a modern day party. There you go. Debauchery, but his want. Out of control. Disaster. So, verse 14 through 16 says, He spent all, and then there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So, his cash, his chunk of cash was gone. His pockets were empty. His bank accounts were were at a balance of zero. <laughs> he didn't have anything left. He had spent not 50, not 99. He spent what? You know, that's what the devil wants from you. He wants you to spend everything and then put you in debt too. And then he wants you dead in the bottom of some river committing suicide because you blew it so bad. The devil's like that. He's a murderer and a thief and a liar. So his plan A failed. He was going to go really live it up and have a great time, but now all that stuff's gone. So everything was gone. He was broke. He had no job. And then not only that, but you know what happens? There's a famine. Oh, unfortunate circumstance there, right? But this is what we deal with in life. You know, the famine is a very interesting part to this story. It says, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine. The famine didn't come until when? He spent all. Isn't that interesting? The famine didn't come when he had a lot. The famine came when he was broke. There's a lesson in that. When our sinful actions leading to very bad circumstances collide with circumstances you cannot control. Now, he controlled some circumstances. He spent everything. But he can't control the famine. God controls that. So in life, there's some things you can control, but there will be things you cannot control. And that's why we need God. (laughs) Because there's going to be famine. There's going to be heartaches that, that come out of the blue. There's going to be economic downturns. And we need to trust God through it all. So there's the famine colliding with his, with his poverty. But he hadn't hit the bottom yet. He has plan B. Plan B. I'm desperate. I have no family. I'm in a foreign land. I'm alone, I'm penniless, I have no future, I have no friends, I'm bankrupt, I'm bare, but I got plan B. I'm not going home, that's one thing for sure. I'm not ready to go back to dad. Oh no, plan B is going to work. So, oh I know this citizen, I'm going to hook up with him. He'll set me up, but the famine has hurt the economy. 
economic downturn. People are not hiring. Jobs aren't available. There's inflation. And so the citizen, it says he joined himself to, he literally glued, he he like glued himself to the citizen. And he was like, this guy's going to help me out. I know he is because when I had all the money, he was my buddy. We went out together. We share, we laugh, we talk. But now I have a need. So I'm going to, I'm going to hook up with him and he's going to help me out. I only have one job. Son, I got some hogs, some pigs. You can go feed them. You know, a Jewish boy going to feed pigs. That, that just doesn't work. But his plan B, it's not working out so well, so he says he sent him into the fields to feed swine. You know, you know what the swine ate? From what I could find, they ate something like the... the the dried pods of that carob. Now, you have to have some pretty sharp teeth to break those pods. But that's what the pigs were eating. Now, have you ever seen pigs eat? If you've got five hogs and they throw food down into the hog pen, what is it like? It's a war, right? I mean, those hogs are fighting for that food. Do you want to get in the middle of a bunch of hungry hogs? Oh, But for this young man, that looked better than his life. I will get into that pig pen and I will fight with those pigs for the food they're eating. So I surmise from that, whatever his citizen friend was paying him down in that pig pen wasn't very much. He didn't seem like he had a lot of extra cash to buy any kind of good food. A lot of people come to New York and they're just like this younger brother, like this prodigal. They got plans. Oh, they're going to they're going to make it here. They're going to make it there. They're going to make it on Broadway. They're going to make it as an artist. They're going to make it as a musician. That's great. I mean, people come to New York. Some people make it. I don't I don't tell anybody they can or can't do it. You know, if God puts something in your heart, I say you can live out your dream and the will of God. Do the will of God with all your heart and he'll bless you. But, you know, this, a lot of people come to New York. And a lot of people come to New York from, from Christian homes out in, the, in some other parts of the country. And a lot of them come to New York running away from God. There's a lot of runaways in New York. Run away from God. But you can't run away from God. A lot of people come to New York and they, they want to live out their lifestyle that they've chosen. And they're in rebellion against the Lord. But then plan A fails, so they turn to plan B. So maybe it's, oh, i got to turn to plan B now, get married. i got to go to AA because I have a drinking problem. I have to do self-help because I have a drug problem. I I have to go back to college because my my first degree didn't didn't land me a good job. So i got to turn to plan B. What's your plan B? What's keeping you... Still holding on, grasping to your sinful direction apart from God. What's your plan B? And has it landed you in the pig slop? I don't know who I'm talking to today, but perhaps you're in the, in the pig slop of life. And you're just envying what the pigs of this world are eating. I say, and we'll see it next week, but when this young man wakes up, he said, my father's got bread. He, and he's got enough to spare. You know, come back to your father's house, I say to you today. So, beloved, 
Here's the most reckless, foolish sinner portrayed by Jesus. Disdaining his love. Disdaining the goodness and grace of God. Looking for satisfaction through the lust of this life. Rebelling against the relationship with God. Wishing God was dead. No regard, no thought, no care of God. Living outside relationship with the Lord, despising Him, dishonoring Him. That's who this man is in the spiritual sense. And you don't have to be as bad as Him to understand we're kind of just like Him if we're not saved. And sometimes even as Christians, we can get away from God. And think of this. He, the, all this happened to him And he still had not hit the bottom. But we'll see it next week when we continue. As we see this worst possible sinner in the worst possible condition come to the most amazing, stupendous, outrageous, unfathomable grace he could ever imagine. And you can be just like him. You can wake up today And I say to you, wake up and say as this young man said in verse, can you read verse 18 with me? We'll we'll get into the end. I'm almost done. Just give me another moment. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father. That's what I ask of you today. Stop running from God. As I close, I want to put this one thought out to you. So here's this young man. He's run away from his father. Broken his heart. Dishonored him. But there's an elder brother back home. Where's that older brother? He's like the Pharisees and scribes. Do you think that older brother cares about him? Do you think that older brother would come and look for him? He's not going to come looking for him. That's like the scribes and Pharisees caring for these sinners that were here in Jesus. This young, broken, prodigal son with an older brother needs another brother. He needs another brother. He needs a brother who would be like Jesus Christ. Who is the good shepherd who seeks his sheep. You see, that's what this parable, it all comes together. See, Jesus Christ is is the shepherd who goes and he seeks for that one lost sheep. And the Holy Spirit is at work through the church to love and care and show God's love. And so we're here to you to to say, come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus and believe in Him. He loves you so much. He's seeking for you. And we're a church. We're not a perfect church, but we are Spirit-filled people here and seeking to bring people to Christ to try to encourage them and disciple them and help them grow in the Lord. So stop running from God and return to the Lord and say, I will arise, I will arise and go to my Father. Let's stand together as we pray. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And how many would say, Pastor Matt, I see my life in the prodigal son. But I'm thankful that God got a hold of my life And I came to myself and I did finally rise 
And I came to the Lord and He saved me by His grace. And I'm not perfect, but I am a Christian. I'm a child of God. And I've left the pigs behind. I've left the wine and the women behind. And I go to my... You know, when this son is going to go to his father, he's going to leave the pigs behind, but he's going to leave the wine and the women too. And he's going to go to his father, broke, empty, but loved. And, and you would say, Pastor Matt, that's how I came to the Lord. And he saved me. Can I see your hand? So by the grace of God, I can say I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. And that's your understanding that Jesus is your Lord and he's your savior. Praise God. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there anyone who say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm saved. And today I know I need Jesus Christ as my savior because Jesus came to reveal the father to us. Jesus came in human flesh to show us what the father is like our Father of unfathomable grace. That same grace is in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is here to teach us who Jesus is so we can know the Father as well. So dear friends, how many would say, I need Jesus as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? I want to pray for you. You're not sure you're on your way to heaven, but you want to know. You're not sure Jesus is your Savior, but you want to know Him. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that today? So, Father, please work and use our use this message, God. Use your word. It's not about my words. It's about your word, Father God, to convict us and challenge us and lead us more in love with you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.